Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Being committed to preaching through the Bible will lead you into some interesting situations. Preaching through books of the Bible. Uh, let me say it that way. We've been in John for a little while now, and uh, some time ago, you know, we were preaching about kings, and the day before, uh, just the way that things break down, you know, the new uh, English king was coordinated. So that was just an inter- it's just a coincidence. Uh, uh, Holy Spirit, divine providence. And yet there are other times where you end up in these just awkward circumstances where you're going to preach about um, the crucifixion of Jesus on Mother's Day. It's just not one of those texts that you think, you know, let's talk about that one again. You know, it's not what comes to mind when you're thinking about Mother's Day. And yet it's somewhat comical if you were to try to go and pick a text. Let's just say, let's just pick a text about Jesus and his mama. All right. There's a couple of options you have. The first one would be when Jesus is told by his mom to take care of the alcohol situation at this wedding. And Jesus refers, you know, answers back. He says, woman, it's not my time yet. You know, and I don't know how we could, I don't even want to tell my preteen sons that that's an option uh, to answer back to your mama when she, when she speaks that way, you know. And then there's another story not too long later where Jesus is teaching and it says that his mom and his brothers came uh, to talk to him. And they said, hey, your mom's here. And he goes, who is my mom and my brothers? And so there's just, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There's just these circumstances where I'm telling you that apart from the manger, texts about Jesus and his mom are difficult to preach. They're, they're interesting to say the least. It's not immediately obvious how they're going to apply to our lives. And yet maybe, maybe there is. I began this week with this text in particular thinking, what an unusual or awkward place to preach on Mother's Day. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I studied it, I began to think, well, maybe there is something here. Maybe there's something to this story. And then I finally got to the point where, what a beautiful story to think about on any day, but particularly Mother's Day. Let's read the passage together. And then we will pray. This is John chapter 19, 25 through 27. It says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and his disciples, he loved standing there. He said to his mother, woman, here's your son. And then he said to his disciples, or his disciple, here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for all that you have blessed us with and continue to bless us with. God, I pray for this text. I pray for our hearts as we study. God, I pray for each person here that we would leave today feeling incredibly loved, that we would know that you love us deeply and care for us still. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So looking at this text, we're going to notice a few things. The first thing that we're going to notice is right there in verse 25. You can see it there if you're looking at the text in front of you or the one on the screen behind me. It begins with this phrase, standing by the cross of Jesus. 
This is the context of the entire section. All of John chapter 19 really deals with the crucifixion of Jesus as awful and as bloody, as terrible and horrible as it is. In our nation, almost daily, we face or are confronted with horrible tragedies, whether they're shootings or some sort of violence, the details of a war in another nation, all sorts of tragedies deal with us. And yet we don't often sit in that moment and really look at the situation and let it affect our lives. In fact, we do everything we can to avoid it. I don't think that that's necessarily bad. I don't think that we are built to deal with as much tragedy and chaos as we do. And yet as Christians, as believers, as people who follow Jesus, then maybe it is somewhat beneficial for just a moment to to think about the cross of Jesus, to, to look at it. Don't look away. As they sat there standing by the cross of Jesus, it was absolutely horrible. It was awful. John records some of the details, Matthew others, Luke, Mark others. The pain that Jesus experienced is something that we just simply cannot wrap our minds around. Portions of his beard were ripped from his face. He was struck, he was punched repeatedly as they mocked him. Thorns were shoved into his head. His back was whipped to the point in which flesh was ripped off of his body. You could see blood and muscle, bone and meat. He was forced to carry his own cross. He was bleeding profusely. He sweat so much that he could barely speak, that he needed a drink to just speak. What Jesus experienced is unbelievably awful, physical pain. He did that and it wasn't only the physical pain, but also the psychological pain, the injustice of being innocent, but executed like a criminal in between two criminals. As John wrote this story, what we can hear are the people screaming false accusation and implying that he was doing things that he was not doing. Jesus faced immeasurable physical pain. He not only faced, he endured immeasurable physical and psychological pain. And yet he also experienced emotional pain. On one level, the roar of the crowd was a total rejection of Jesus. They threw him away like he was garbage. As I read John 19 this week, one of the phrases that really stood out to me was the moment in which the crowd screams, take him away. None of us really deal with rejection, regardless if it's somebody you know or don't know, but the idea that people who don't even know him would scream, get him out of here, throw her away, throw him away. That emotional pain is just something I can't really think through. In pictures and paintings, you'll see the cross as something that's like, it looks like it's 10 feet up in the air. It's way up there. But in reality, it would have been much, much shorter. Jesus would have been crucified just above eye level. And it's from that vantage point that he could see his mom. He could see his friends. He could see his family. He could see people standing there with this gut-wrenching pain. It hurts to watch people that you love hurt 
when you can't do anything about it. The cross of Jesus, standing by the cross of Jesus was immense physical, psychological, and emotional pain. And John tells us at least three times in the 19th chapter, he tells us that this was done to fulfill what scripture had said, that this was according to the plan that God had planned that Jesus would feel this sort of pain. But knowing that Jesus is innocent, knowing that God is just and compassionate, then there is only one reason that he would plan for Jesus to experience this sort of pain. It must have been done for a purpose. It must have been done for some sort of reason. And that purpose was the redemption of human souls, that he was saving you and me, those who trust in Jesus. In this horror, Jesus is taking the penalty of our sin, of our rebellion, of the rebellion of all mankind. He was paying the price for our transgressions. That's what the Bible says, that he took the penalty upon himself, a payment that we could not afford, a payment that he did not owe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made the one who did not know sin, who was not a rebel, who was not a transgressor, he made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become righteousness. We might become good. We might become family. We might become one with God. So I don't want to go any further without giving you the opportunity to respond to that. To recognize that those who stood by the cross of Jesus were witnessing Jesus paying that penalty for you. That if you have not yet surrendered to Jesus, if you have not yet trusted Jesus as your savior, accepted that payment that he paid on your behalf, then you are trying to pay for it yourself and you can't pay that. He paid that for you. And so the Bible says that if you will trust him and believe in him, then you'll be forgiven and you will be made clean. So here, I'm gonna give you a few seconds, just a few moments to respond. You talk to God, you tell him that you're guilty and he is not, that you accept what he has provided for you. It's just that simple. You do that now. And if you did that, I wanna encourage you to tell me, to tell somebody, one of the people that brought you, somebody that just looks like they know what's going on around here. Tell them so that we can celebrate with you. The very next step is baptism. In a few moments, we're gonna celebrate with two who have made that commitment. As Jesus spoke to his love for you on the cross, you in the water speak to your love for him back. And so we want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate in that. This is how this story begins. Standing at the cross of Jesus. In the middle of all that darkness, there is light. There is good. Not only for our salvation. There are things that hint towards something more powerful than the fears of man. Death and sin and the hatred of Satan. What a contrasting moment. Can you picture it? What a contrasting moment as Jesus is hanging on his cross, he sees his mama. And it's when that happens, when he does that, you really see past his sacrifice and start to see his compassion and his provision. His compassion and his provision. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, And when Jesus saw his mama and the disciple, he loved standing there. 
for at least a moment in the midst of that tragedy, in that pain, through swollen, bloody, sweaty eyes, Jesus locks eyes with his mom. His mom is a natural affection. The love that Jesus has for his mom is a natural affection that you would expect. And it is clear that that's what's going on here. Jesus did love his mom and he acted like it. She loved him. And so she stood by him all the way to what she believed was the end. The term he calls her sounds impersonal. It even sounds cold, right? He says, woman. That's what he called her earlier in John. That's what he's calling her here now. It's not the sort of term that in our modern English ears we think is not the way that you would expect Jesus to talk to his mama, not the way that you should talk to your mama. In fact, it's not the way that you should talk to any female. You should just never say woman at the beginning of a sentence. It's not going to go well for you. And yet he does because the language that Jesus spoke, it wasn't, it wasn't the way that it sounds in English. It was endearing. It was a term of respect and compassion. He said, mama. Sometimes, just think about that. I didn't think about that until just right now. On the cross, Jesus said, mama. He says, sweet lady, it's a term of endearment, of respect. It's just the way that Jesus talked. Uh, my son, the one who calls his walks with his mom, Ted Talks, he sometimes will call Jackie, bruh. <laughs> Y'all know any preteens? That's the way they talk, you know? And she'll always correct him. She says, I'm not a bruh, I'm mom, right? It's just the way he talks. It's just the way that he is. This is the way that Jesus spoke. It's not disrespectful. It's endearing. It's loving. Earlier on in John chapter 8, Jesus uses the same phrase to speak to another woman. She was drug out in front of him. They wanted Jesus to attack her, to ridicule her, to condemn her for her sins. Jesus says to her, woman, sweet lady, where are your accusers? She doesn't answer, but he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus had this blinding respect for all people. But in that culture and in that way, his respect for women was unbelievably counterculture. He lifted up women and included them into spaces and into conversations that they were otherwise excluded from. Jesus respected women. He respected all people. He would never treat them as property or just somebody to meet his needs or to do as he said. He would never tell a woman disrespectfully to go home or say to a woman that they are only good for cooking, cleaning, or making sandwiches. Jesus respects people. He respects women. And it's unbelievable. He included them, like I said, into circles that they were otherwise excluded from. Jesus had a natural affection for his mom, as you would expect, but he also had a gentleness and a compassion for all people that we should aspire to. When it comes to John, it's a different affection. It says he saw his mom and he saw the disciple that he loved. We love to, we love to point that out. All the way out, all the way through the book of, of the Gospel of John, 
He doesn't, John doesn't write his own name. He always referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And we like to mess with him about that. And if John was standing here right now at this moment, we would rib him a little bit about like, you call yourself the one that the disciple loved. And it is true. And it is funny on some level, but listen, John's not bragging. This isn't that he's bragging. He says, I'm his favorite. I'm the one that he loved the most. What he's saying is, I cannot believe he knew me so well and loved me still. John would say Jesus loved all of his disciples. It's just amazing that he loved me too. But that love, that kind of love is this brotherly affection, this friendship, and you can see it as reciprocal. John too, like his mother and the others, still stood with Jesus all the way up to the end. They witnessed his final breath, something that would have been impossible to see, and yet he does because he loves him, because they are brothers, a different kind of strength. This is a brotherly friendship that is all over Jesus's teaching. It's what he valued and commanded. This idea that you treat other believers like they are family in the most ideal of circumstances, that you would treat other people. Jesus says it all over John's writing. Jesus gave a new command that you love one another in John chapter 13. In 17, when he's praying, he prayed that the love that the father has for the son would be the same kind of love that they have for each other. This is the way that they would be identified, that they love one another. In 1st and 2nd John, same author, different letters, but 1st and 2nd John, in 1st John 2, 9, 3, 10, verse 18, verse 23, chapter four, verse eight, chapter four, verse 20, 2nd John 6, the emphasis is this, that you would love one another like family, ideal families that we would love one another this way. And get this, this relationship doesn't just appear. Not even for the Messiah and the apostle John did they instantly become friends. This took three years of listening to one another, of sharing and of being, of being heard, spending time with one another. We live in a microwave age, in a Facebook society in which friendships are one click and they're instant or they are not. But friendships take time. They take hardships. They take challenges. I have a bunch of people that I would call a friend and all we have are good memories together. But there are other people, and I'm sure you're the same way. There are other people in whom I've had difficult conversations and unbelievably, um, unbelievable disappointments. We loved each other in and through and after that. Those are real friends. Those are deep friendships. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus and John have. John seems to, better than anyone else, understood this idea. Jesus loved him like they were brothers. And he loved Jesus the same way. From this compassion flows a desire to care. It's not just a feeling, but it's acting on those feelings to do what is needed for the best of the other person. Look at verse 26 through 27 again. It says... Um, when Jesus says the whole idea of your um, mother or woman, your son, and then he looks to the disciple and he says, um, your mother, behold your mother. In this, we see provision. It's not just his compassion, but it's also his providing. See, Jesus is the oldest son. He was responsible for his mother's well-being. Many believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, had already passed. 
that he was already gone. And so in that culture, the responsibility laid on the oldest son. The oldest son was responsible to take care of his mama. They couldn't own land, they couldn't vote, they couldn't get a job, and so they needed some male to take care of them. Whether If there was not a husband, then it would have been the oldest son. And that's what Jesus is doing here. In the midst of the cross, Jesus is taking care of his responsibilities. In the midst of the cross, nailed to a cross, Jesus is compassionately providing for someone else. But it does raise some questions, right? Jesus had four other sibling brothers. He had a sister and four other brothers. So why wouldn't he just say, why wouldn't he just assume that they were going to take care of him? Why wouldn't he just leave it to nothing? Well, there's a couple of ideas. The first one is this, and I like this theory, is that the brothers were not yet believers. In fact, they thought that Jesus was crazy. And so it is that Jesus is teaching, underlining this idea that the faith family at times is stronger than the immediate family. That when we look at one another, we see a stronger bond than even our own immediate family. I think this is what Jesus was teaching back in that story I told you about, in which he says, who is my mom and who are my brothers, Matthew 12, verse 48. When the people came, he replied to one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whomever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The idea is not that Jesus was dismissing or, 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 or changing out or dis, um doing away with his mom and brothers. It was that he was saying the bond of faith is stronger or that it should be. Do you have a biological family, but the faith family should be stronger. There's another theory and I like this one as well. It may be that Jesus wasn't actually, he didn't really have in mind long-term care. It wasn't like provide for her the rest of her life, even though that's the comment that John makes. Maybe it was that Jesus was on the cross and from his view, he could see that his mom was hurting. She was hurting right then and right there. And John was hurting right then and right there. So maybe it was in his words, as he suffered, he said, help her, help him, take care of them. And not to make it trite, but have you ever thought about this? In those moments, those two needed a hug and his arms were nailed to a cross. So he said, hug her. Right there, take care of her. I think it's both. I think that what we see in the life and in the last words on the cross of Jesus, some of the last words, he is saying, my compassion, my provision for what you need extends through you you love them the way that I love you. I think this is all very encouraging. Jesus in his time of anguish is ready, able, and willing to care for others in their time of need. And that same compassion extends endlessly through the faith family, through believers, through Christians. And so I would encourage you to recognize that as an aspect of your Christian faith and, and specifically church participation. We are instructed to care for each other. Jesus is the illustration, he is the command, and he is the ability. The church is fundamentally a family. It is not optional. 
You can't truly fulfill the purpose of this gathering simply by gathering. We have to step into the pain that other people feel. We have to shoulder the burden that other people are feeling. We have to bring light into the darkness of other people within our faith family. And conversely, we get to celebrate when they celebrate belly laughs and big meals and swim parties and their successes are your success and your success are their success. Why? Because it's a family that was bought by the blood of Jesus. That's huge. It's massive and it blows everything else out of the water. Of course, this is best accomplished through investment in a small group. It's also a reminder that church isn't just about what you get out of it but more so how you contribute to it by serving and praying and singing and volunteering and just listening. If you really think about this moment for a minute, it is dynamic. This moment when Jesus is on the cross, this part of the text that I thought about skipping because I was like, I don't know how that's going to apply. It's huge. At the cross, a very human Jesus was murdered and his very human mom and friend watched. Mary's son was taken, John's friend was leaving. John needed a friend and Mary was grieving the loss of her son. And Jesus through their faith family relationship meets both needs. Jesus provided what they needed out of his compassion by turning them toward each other. And that is what we are expected to do. He cares for you and you should care for each other. Mother's Day, by its nature, is an emotional holiday. There's no way to avoid it. It is an emotional holiday. You can be lackadaisical or indifferent toward many other holidays, but not this one. For some, it is a joyful day. Maybe you had a great mom or, a mom, or the mom thing for you is going pretty well. It's working out the way that you expected or maybe your mom was good like my mom was good. And so it's a fun celebration. You're excited about this. You want to celebrate your mom. You want to celebrate being a mom. And if that is you, like it is for many of you, we celebrate with you. Nothing taken away from that. That is good. You are blessed. Be blessed. For some, it is an extremely difficult day. Your mom wasn't there for you the way that she should have been. Or your children are living far from God in the way that you taught them to live. And so it's difficult, a day of celebration, it is not. You're looking around and you are struggling through this holiday. For some of you, it's somewhere in between. For others, maybe even some who decided not to be in the worship gathering this morning for this reason, this is a sad day. You recently lost a child or a long time ago you lost a child. Because in that circumstance, it doesn't really matter how long ago it was. This is the first Mother's Day without your mama, and it is a gut-wrenching holiday. It is sad. By its nature, it is an emotional day. It's this huge spectrum, joy to grief and everything in between. And to be honest with you, I can't fully appreciate all of it. I am not a mother, nor could I ever be a mother. But I can point to something in all of us, male and female. We have been wired to want to be loved and cared for. 
to want somebody who just deeply nurtures us, who is compassionate towards us. We are wired to want that. We are wired to want to give that. And in this moment, as we watch this interaction between Jesus and his mama, we see that Jesus fulfills that need perfectly and fully. The need to be cared for and to provide it for. We also see that opportunity to do the same for others. In that, at the foot of the cross, while Jesus, through blood and sweat and a swollen eye, sees his mama, I say to you, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.